Welcome to Deciphering Doctrine. I'm Captain Mary Belviso, an intelligence officer stationed at Cannon Air Force Base and currently a member of the Tiger Student Squadron here at Squadron Officer School. As part of the Air University Advanced Research Program, we have partnered with the LeMay Center to create a podcast series entitled Deciphering Doctrine, in which we'll look further into doctrine and make it more of a household name that we can bring back to our home stations. Today, our guest speaker and first guest ever, Major General William Holt, will be giving a little background on his take of doctrine. General Holt is the commander of LeMay Center for Developing Doctrine and Education, as well as the vice commander for Air University. In his role at LeMay Center, he is also a principal agent for doctrine to the chief of staff of the Air Force. Sir, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with us today. You're welcome. Would you mind telling us, just in your own terms, what doctrine is and really why airmen should care about it? Okay, so doctrine historically has been codified or known best practices. So we, we see those in exercises, war games, and real world operations. We capture those um, as we go through doctrine writing concepts or doctrine work groups, and we, we create what we call the doctrine library, which is basically a starting point primarily for commanders, but for also for airmen across the force from your, your joint force air component commanders who are working for, uh, you know, theater, COCOM commanders uh, out there. The Air Force will then provide airmen for them. Doctrine gives them a starting point, a point to step off from. Um, it it is, does not tell them they have to operate this way. It says it's smart to start this way. And, and so that's what doctrine really is right now. But on top of that, what we've started recently is we've started a new version of doctrine called a doctrine note. So emerging doctrine is how we've tagged that, is done through a doctrine note. We've done a couple of those so far uh, with Chief Brown's help. We have uh, done JADO doctrine note, which then turned into actual joint all domain operations doctrine. Uh, so it allowed the Air Force to see that, get a guidance, kind of a, uh, initial guidance for doctrine and then move out on that and rapidly iterate and build the initial doctrine. Just in December, we released the ACE doctrine note, Agile Combat Employment, and that just gives the force as, as different combatant commands or, or different um, um, CFACs and different MAGCOMs are working on the Agile Combat Employment um, ACE concepts. That doctrine note allows them a common lexicon, common framework to start from as we experiment and, and figure out what's better. We bring that together in writing concepts, writing conferences afterwards, and then we'll publish as, you know, pretty quickly, much more quickly than we had in the past, actual doctrine or updated doctrine notes. So in December, we, we published the first ACE doctrine note, and within the next month or two, we'll release the first uh, update to that doctrine note. So doctrine's pretty exciting right now. Sir, could you talk to the relationship between doctrine, policy, and strategy, and what the main differences are between those three things? Sure. So strategy sets the goals for what we want to accomplish, and policy is directive. We must adhere to policy, think Air Force instructions, and um, something if you were going to not adhere to that, you would need a waiver. Uh, airmen have to understand what we want to achieve, our goals, and the left and right bounds in order to establish uh, what will become future best practices. Doctrine is those best practices for how we operate. It's a starting point. Deviation from that, from your doctrine, should be based on unique and special circumstances. It is authoritative, but it's not prescriptive. So it's not the same as policy that you would need a waiver 
But if you're going to deviate from it, you really need to understand why and have a unique set of circumstances. If you could provide us some detail on how doctrine is developed, specifically what role do airmen have in capturing the best practices that eventually are gonna be incorporated into doctrine? So as General Brown has said in the past, <clears throat> doctrine is only a piece of paper uh, that comes to life in the minds and the hands of our airmen. So our airmen are the subject matter experts. They're the, they're the experts that are out there in exercises and war games and day-to-day and, and, uh, -day operations and in, in conflict. Um, building what becomes known as our best practices. And then we fold that into doctrine, uh, which will make us better in the future and will give the airmen a fantastic place to start with in the future. Um, that all comes together with, the, with our airmen, our young NCOs, our young officers who are out there on the front lines, um, learning and discovering and being our subject matter experts. If you could provide us some detail on how doctrine is developed, specifically what role do airmen have in capturing the best practices that eventually are gonna be incorporated into doctrine? So as General Brown has said in the past, <clears throat> doctrine is only a piece of paper uh, that comes to life in the minds and the hands of our airmen. So our airmen are the subject matter experts. They're the, they're the experts that are out there in exercises and war games and day-to-day uh, -day operations and in, in conflict. Um, building what becomes known as our best practices. And then we fold that into doctrine, uh, which will make us better in the future and will give the airmen a fantastic place to start with in the future. Um, that all comes together with, the, with our airmen, our young NCOs, our young officers who are out there on the front lines, um, learning and discovering and being our subject matter experts. Are there any additional ways that airmen can get involved in doctrine, especially as we go back to our home stations? What are some ways we can encourage those airmen to capture those best practices so that they can be put into doctrine? So absolutely, every airman uh, is encouraged to be involved in how we develop, how we publish doctrine in the United States Air Force. So the easiest and fastest way for airmen from your first day in the service to your last day in the service to get involved is to go onto our website, uh, doctrine.af.mil, there's a single button. You can click and submit your thoughts on a current or emerging doctrine. What we do is, is we periodically review items in our catalog, doctrine that's in our catalog. Uh, we will work with the MAGCOMs on that and, and have writing conferences. And when we, when we deal with emerging doctrine, we will do um, conferences where we bring everyone together, the SMEs. If you're not one of those subject matter experts, get a hold of whoever's coming from your wing or from your MAGCOM and give them the information you think they need. And then those who are coming, I would encourage them to reach down through their organizations um, and bring as much subject matter expertise as you can when you come to those writing conferences or those uh, JDO or ACE uh, work groups that we've put together to help develop those emerging, that emerging doctrine. We're hearing senior leaders emphasize doctrine and talk about changes to doctrine, most notably a refocus on readability. Could you speak a little bit to this? Absolutely. The, the single most exciting thing for me, having come through 31 years of career now and dealing with doctrine along the way, is that General Brown is using doctrine to accelerate change. And, and part of that is that we are making doctrine more readable, more presentable, more understandable. Um, for our airmen and for anyone else who picks it up and reads it. And so I'm gonna reach down here and grab what is now Air Force Doctrine Document 1. This used to be uh, over 200 pages long, about 225 pages in three volumes. So if you take the size of this stack of books right here, that's what this used to be. 
And to tell you the truth, and General Brown has said this, not many people read it unless they had a reason, like if they were in a war college and needed to look at it. That was the basic doctrine of the United States Air Force. This tells us why we uh, exist as airmen, what we value, um, how we operate. That's just the, the very basic doctrine. Took it from 225 pages down to 16 pages. Uh, the small book here is a little bit longer than that because we condensed it down, but very easy to read. Airmen, every airman should read it. I've talked to those outside the Air Force in the other services all the way to the four-star level, and they're reading this new doctrine because it's simple, it's easy to understand, and it connects with our airmen at absolutely every level. And we're trying to do that across the board. So we're trying to make all of our doctrine uh, as short as it, as it can be, as readable as it can be, as easy to understand, so that when a joint partner picks it up or when a young airman picks it up, they understand, um, they understand that common framework and can use it as a starting point. It's, it's fantastic to be in the doctrine community right now. I know that there are a couple of new concepts being introduced into doctrine, specifically one among the SOS students is the concept about agile combat employment, which you mentioned earlier. Could you explain a little bit how new concepts like this are being incorporated into Air Force doctrine? So I'll start by talking about the ACE doctrine notes. So these doctrine notes are signed by General Brown uh, out to the force as guidance. And what they provide is short, succinct, common language, common framework to, to start working from as we develop doctrine. So concepts are ideas, how we should operate in the future. Uh, doctrine is written best practices of how we have operated and what we've learned, lessons learned, so we incorporate that into our catalog. These doctrine notes, though, drive the force to a common starting point. And if you look right now, all of the MAGCOMs from Air Force Special Operations Command to Air Combat Command, USAFE, PACAF, uh, AMC are all taking that ACE Doctrine note and working from there on their concept that will make their command more effective. Eventually we'll bring all that back together and it'll become ACE Doctrine for the Air Force. We, we published the first ACE Doctrine note from General Brown in December of 2021. We're about to, within the next couple of months, publish the first update to that and it's very, very exciting. If we're still figuring some of these concepts out, why now? How is this emerging doctrine distinguishable from your current library of publications? So in order to generate air power in a contested environment, we need to ask ourselves if our current doctrine supports that requirement. As we look at the world around us, we know that our adversaries have watched America as we fought uh, conflicts around the world for about 30 years now, and they've learned, and they've used that to accelerate themselves and their capabilities. And that's why General Brown uh, says, the Air Force has to accelerate, change, or lose. So organizations across the Air Force are already exercising ACE concepts at their wings, and the LeMay Center is working with them to collect that data and incorporate it into the Air Force operational doctrine and build upon the ACE doctrine. Now, as I've said, in about a month, within, within six or seven months from initial publication, we're gonna issue the, the second update to the ACE doctrine. Now our environment is changing and that we have to adapt the way we approach things to meet that changing environment. Along those lines, the topic of mission command is definitely one that is brought up very often among SOS students and also back at our home stations. The way I understand command or mission command is it's an approach to command and control that empowers subordinate decision making in a contested environment. 
So I know you spent a lot of time in the Special Operations Command community, and probably you've already been doing a form of Mission Command. So I'd be really interested to hear your take on Mission Command and how you view this is going to be utilized in future contested environments. So what Mission Command means to me, I'll start with mutual trust. So trust from a commander down through their subordinate organization to the lowest ranking person in that unit. And that trust is built over time. It's built through actual combat experience. It's built through experience in garrison, through exercises and events like that. And it's, it's the commander's trust in their people and it's their people's trust in the commander. <clears throat> With that trust, the next most important step is commander's intent. Clear, concise commander's intent. In a future operating environment, we will be operating uh, similar to how the soft community operates, sometimes in small teams that are disaggregated and maybe out of contact. Uh, Special Operations does this routinely with teams that are led by young uh, enlisted and very junior officers, and sometimes they're out of contact for extended periods of time. The way they operate is through very clear commander's intent. The commander puts that guidance out, that intent, and then when they are dislocated and out of contact, they know what steps to take next to keep the mission moving forward. Mission type orders is how the Air Force is going after that. And much of our Joint Force does the same thing. I'm not gonna go into every uh, aspect of mission type orders, but it's how the commander puts out that commander's intent. And I will, I will refer everyone in the Air Force to Air Force Doctrine Publication 1 yeah, this is a great starting point if you want to look at what mission type orders are for the United States Air Force right now. Sir, so now if we could segue a little bit into command relationships as it relates to, as you mentioned, agile combat employment. Do you think right now the Air Force's understanding of command relationships is adequate or does it need to evolve and adapt to the flexibility of ACE when we actually employ ACE operationally? So we're testing that out with ACE exercises right now across our Air Force and the ACE Doctor Notes give the community a, a goal to strive for to determine whether uh, what we have is sufficient or if there's room for improvement. So we're getting after it. So sir, up to now we've talked about command relationships and empowering our airmen. One topic I would like to bring up is the concept of multi-capable airmen. And really one concern that we're hearing from our airmen is they are now gonna be asked to do more than they already are. Could you give us a perspective from senior leadership as to what the Air Force is going to ask of them when they talk about multi-capable airmen? So I understand the concerns of our airmen and I've heard those expressed from airmen across the Air Force. Uh, we are not planning on putting more work in their job jar but I can tell you our airmen are thirsty and they are hungry for additional responsibilities. There's no reason an airman, say for example, an engine mechanic, can't learn to work on a generator, right? Can't learn to lay Cat5 cable. And we see organizations doing this in the force. AFSOC is working that right now through their mission support teams. And it doesn't mean you have to go necessarily through a full uh, qualification course to learn those new things. You learn them from the experts who are qualified in those and you share those. I'll give you an example of how the Air Force might have to operate at forward operating sites in the future. So if you look at the Chindits in the China Burma India theater in World War II, so they were the first air commando group. They were told that they could only be half the size of any other <clears throat> group operating in that theater, but they had to bring twice the capability. 
And that meant every person in the organization had four jobs. Four jobs. Some were aircraft mechanics who were also pilots. Some of the pilots flew multiple airplanes. Uh, and they made it work, and they were very, very effective at that. The Air Force is going to have to operate that same way in the future to make sure we can survive, we can operate, and then we can aggregate and be as effective as possible when we bring the force to bear. ACE is helping us with that. ACE does not mean more work in your job jar, but I can tell you right now our airmen are absolutely, I'll use that term again, hungry for more responsibility. They're ready for it, and they can do it. All right, sir, it's time for the obligatory question. If you could go back in time and tell Captain Holt something about doctrine, what would you tell yourself back then and why doctrine is so important? So I'm a little jealous of where we are in doctrine right now. I would tell myself from the past to follow the words of our Chief of Staff, General Brown, and accelerate change. It's an exciting time for our doctrine developers, for our airmen, and for our subject matter experts. It may not feel like it, but they're making history every day. So we have to ask the hard questions and make sure your voice is heard in the process as we develop our future doctrine. All right, sir, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us to kick off this podcast series. And I look forward to seeing where this series goes. Also, hopefully this spurs additional questions for future iterations. Thanks. I'll tell you the best way to continuously change, adapt, and test our doctrine is to continually educate our airmen. I, I would ask every airman to go out there again and do it often. Read Air Force uh, Doctrine Publication 1. Read that, read the ACE note, read JADO Doctrine. Stay aware of what's out there and what's changing and get your voice heard in the process.